if you have your Bible, you can open with me to Romans chapter 10. We're in a series of messages, and the series is entitled New in 42. And the purpose of this series is for us to learn the story of the church that changed the world. And you'd say, who is the church that changed the world? It's the church we read about in Scripture. See, after Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he left his followers here on earth, and he gave them a mission. And they came together as the church, the early church. And that early church, just a few of them in an upper room, in a few days after the Holy Spirit fell upon them, turned into a force uh, of the power of God on earth that moved and we saw lives changed and thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We saw and read about healings. We he- read about the power of God moving in incredible ways. And when we read that story, we are generations removed, but that's our story, church. That's your story. That's your family history. We're a part of God's family, and we are a part of this story. And as we read that, there's one question that comes to my mind and should come to yours. Why can't it happen again today? Renew that again in our midst now, because the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe his spirit is alive and at work in us today, and he desires that there are still people that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we long to become that church that changed the world. And so we've been studying that through God's word, and we're learning each week a different principle something that made the church that changed the world who they were. And as we unpackage these foundational, fundamental principles of what the church that changed the world was all about, what they were committed to wholeheartedly, we then apply those to our lives so that we can long to be that church together as well. As you have a moment now and you're turning into Romans chapter 10, I want to open in a word of prayer, so please bow your heads with me now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that you haven't left us alone. I thank you that we don't have to guess about your heart, about your desire, about your will. But Lord, we can walk in obedience to your word. We can be led by your Holy Spirit. I pray right now in these moments, Lord, that you would peel back um, the layers that some have walked in here with, layers of hurt, Layers of disillusionment about who you are. Layers of facades that they have put on so that people in this world would think they are something. Lord, I just pray that you'd peel all that back and, Lord, we would just be completely open before you and that your word would come and speak to the depths of our hearts. That, Lord, you would challenge us by your word. You would change us by your spirit's power. And, Lord, we would live to walk in the full authority and the full uh, power of our namesake as Evangel Church. Lord, teach us what that means today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope that you've been enjoying the reading plan as we've been reading through together. And if you haven't yet picked up one, you can pick up a bookmark and read along with us. You can go on our website and download it. You can also get one of these books, which is uh, all of Acts to Revelation put together in one book for you to read along in order so that you can take part in our reading plan. 
Each week we have unpackaged what it means to be the church that changed the world. We started with talking about the empowered church, a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. And next week we talked about a church that's connected and enjoying authentic biblical community as evidenced in the early church in the book of Acts. Last week we talked about uh, what it really meant to be a new creation. So not to be living the old life, but to allow God's word to even correct us as Paul wrote letters of correction to the early church that they would live a life worthy, a life right before the Lord as a new creation. And we celebrated with those that were being baptized. We saw 24 people last week get baptized. Isn't that something to celebrate? And this week is one of my favorite messages because we have such a shared history with this principle. The church that changed the world was truly the, ready for it, evangel church. Not the church on Terrell Road, uh, not a church that started 101 years ago, But when we unpackage this principle, we look at it and we simply say they were the evangel church. We aren't the evangel church. We are a evangel church. They were the evangel church. And we need to long together. And my prayer is that God would ignite such a passion in our hearts. He would light a flame in us that we would carry the burden, the mantle that Jesus has for us that this is our name and that we'll serve it well. We will step fully into who God has called and created us as a church to be. As I think about our history and I think about the stories of what the Lord has led us through, he's led us through some amazing, amazing times and seasons. I think about it that we continue to support missions through the Great Depression, that this church saw multiple world wars and continued to stay together. And we were a German congregation. Can you imagine the tense, uh, the the, the difficulty, the struggle as uh, World War II was going on and how we as a church walked through that together as an as a immigrant German congregation and how the Lord worked and ministered to hearts and lives. I was uh, reminded of a story that goes back to World War II, in fact, and it's a story about a husband and a wife, two people that fell in love back in the early 1940s. His name was uh, Billy Harris and her name was Peggy, and they fell for one another, and, and uh, as they did, they, they were taken up, and they were married, and they got the news that Billy would ship out to fight and take part in World War II seven weeks after their wedding date. Could you imagine that, having to walk away from uh, your husband, having to be separated from your spouse who you've just committed to live your life with after being together for just seven weeks? Well, they decided that they would take a two-week honeymoon beforehand so that they could really spend time together and connect before he was deployed. Well, that was cut aggressively short because they reached out to Billy saying that his expertise in the area of, uh, of being able to fly airplanes would be so needed at that moment that he had to leave immediately and go over and join forces. And so he was stationed right outside of England, in southern England, and uh, he went there. Uh, he was assigned to the 355th Fighter Squadron and the 354 Fighter uh, Group. He was stationed in southeast England, and during his first months, he was a fly bomber, and he supported missions, including whenever they stormed Normandy. As they came into Normandy, which you know that was a key moment in the war, he was there providing aerial support on daily missions. He would fly daily almost across the English Canal. He took part in very dangerous operations, and he was protected and safe all along. He won uh, multiple awards, including two air medals, 11 oak leaf clusters, and the Distinguished Flying Cross. He was an amazing, decorated uh, man who served his country proud. He took as many as a hundred trips 
into enemy territory to protect those living in France in different communities as the German army, the Nazis, were progressing there and beginning to take over. As he did that, uh, his commander had reached out to him along the way and said that he had completed enough missions and it was time for him to go home. So he was excited to be able to send correspondence to Peggy, the love of his life. So he sent her a telegram sharing that he would be home soon. He was getting ready to be deployed. That was the very beginning of July 1944. She received it. She was excited. She was elated. She couldn't believe she was going to see her love again. And then the days turned into a few weeks and no response and no communication. Eventually, she did receive communication, but it was one that she could never imagine she would have to hear. That as Billy was flying and as he was taking part in one of his final missions, he went missing in action. They never found his body. They didn't even know where he had landed, but they believed he had crashed somewhere somewhere in enemy territory, and, and they just simply could not find him. And so the war went on, and eventually the war ended. And then they're able to go back into areas and look around, and they're searching, and a lot of names, a lot of people were being accounted for during those years. One of them that was never accounted for was Billy. And so Peggy lived with this constant anxiety of never knowing the story, never knowing what became of her love. And as she lived her life, she didn't remarry. She just waited and wondered. And for some of you who've experienced loss, I mean, we know that bad news is never good. And, and that kind of news would, would be heartbreaking. But there is something worse, I believe, than losing a loved one and having someone perish and die. It's, it's losing them and never knowing what happened. Not knowing can even be more difficult at times because you, know, you live without any sense of closure, you live wondering, you live hurting and aching, and that's how Peggy had to live her life. Could you imagine being separated from someone that you love so dearly? And it's not that, that you know the story and something bad had happened to them, but you just don't know what happened. You don't know where they are. You don't know anything. Living with that uncertainty, living not knowing the rest of the story is a tragic and terrible thing. And as I think about that, as I think about not knowing the rest of the story, I'm burdened about what we're talking about in God's word today. Because there are people, millions of people that live all around this world. And they know part of a story. And the story always starts something like this. There's a, a, a God or a deity or, or uh, maybe there's a higher power. And there's someone that, that, uh, that, that, that knows us or that created us or that was a part of all this coming to be. And they live with, with a kind of skewed part or a, a, just a puzzled together piece of the story. Some don't live with that story at all. They just say, this is, this is nothing. There is no God. And as they live their lives, they don't know the full story of what happened. They don't know that there is a God who created them, who loved them, and who loved them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. They live without the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If Jesus was just one way to have a relationship with God, then maybe that would be okay. But do you know what Jesus said about himself? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. So for that to be the case, then he is the only way to have a relationship with God, to have hope for eternity, 
And there are millions of people all around the world that do not know that good news. And it is good news. How many of you know it's good news that Jesus came and he died for our sins? It's good, good news. As Paul, the Apostle Paul, has come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, his life was completely turned around. He went from being an enemy to God and, and followers of Jesus to one of the greatest that led many people to know him and started, he started many churches through his missionary journeys that he went on. As Paul reached towards the end of his last journey, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there's another journey that you're going on, but it's a journey that you're never going to return from. It's a journey that's going to lead towards your death. And Paul, as he meets together, and you read about it in Acts chapter 20, he's with the elders in Ephesus, this church that he had started. And that's how we started last week reading on Monday. He's reading in Acts chapter 20. And as he's speaking to them, he has this heartfelt moment where he says to them, I am bound by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to Jerusalem. And then he eventually went to Rome. And he said, I know everywhere I'm being told hardships Trouble awaits me at every turn, but I consider my life worth nothing unless I finish the race that I've started. And he said, I can't do anything else. I mean, they pleaded with him. They said, don't go. We beg you, don't go. And he said, I have to go. I'm bound by the Holy Spirit. I have to finish. I have to live out the purpose God has for my life. And as on that journey, ultimately going towards Rome, as he's going towards Rome, he learns that there's a small group of believers that are coming together and now a church has started and he wants to send a letter of introduction to them to get to know them before he will meet them face to face. And as he does that, he sends the letter that we now have as the book of Romans. And he's sending an introduction to this group of people, many of them he's never met before in his life. And he tells them, just like any introduction, people would get to know you and what you want them to do is you want them to know who you are and you want them to understand what's most important to you. And you learn that pretty quickly about someone. In his letter, that's exactly what Paul's doing. He wants to tell them who he is and what is most important to him. And what is most important to Paul and who he is is a follower of Jesus Christ. And what's most important to him is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he is living his life to share that news because that's what Jesus called his followers to do. And Paul lives that unashamed he lives it unashamed, passionately moving forward. And that's what he spends time so much of the book of Romans is dedicated to him just unpackaging the power of the gospel in someone's life. And as he's talking to them in an area where they worship many different gods and an area where people have all kinds of different religions, here's what Paul says to them. Romans chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 8. He says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who will call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then Paul asks them a series of questions. And because it's a letter, he's not expecting a response from them. It's a rhetorical question. He unpackages these before them. But he says, but how then will they 
call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard of? And how will they hear without a preacher, without someone sharing that with them? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. Paul's telling them something of the urgency and the importance. It is essential for them not to lose light of this, that there are people all around them. There's a world that is perishing. And how will anyone ever know of the greatest news in the history of the world if they don't get to hear that message, if they don't get an opportunity to hear the rest of the story? They have all their own narratives, but there's one story, there's one author, there's one God, there's one Lord, there's one Savior. And he came and he died for our sins. And Paul says, how will anyone know unless they are sent? In Jesus, when he was walking with his disciples, he looked out over the multitudes. You remember in, John, in, in Matthew chapter 9, and he speaks to them as he's moved with compassion. And he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest sends workers into his harvest. Jesus, when he's in John chapter 4 speaking, he said, lift your eyes. Don't say a few more seasons, then harvest. No, lift your eyes. The harvest is here. The kingdom of God's at hand. It's time. And what Paul's saying is that there's a world that is dying and they'll never get a chance to hear the message of hope if there is not an evangel church. What the word evangel means is to proclaim the gospel. It's the gospel proclamation. It's good news being sent out and shared. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, more specifically. And so the evangel church, the church that changed the world, meant that they were passionately and boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And nothing got in their way from doing that. And they did that without any shame. They did that without any fear, even though they had reason to fear. They would lose their very lives, but they never stopped them from boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, these are some great words of introduction to them. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God for the salvation of how many people? A few? A couple? Only the best and elite? Only the, no, for everyone who will believe. Not for certain parts of the world, not for certain communities, not for certain nationalities, not for certain anything, for everyone, for all. Jesus loved us so much. God so loved the world, not just parts of the world. He so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. That's good news. The bad news today, the tragic news, is that there are still millions and millions of people all around the world who have not yet heard that good news. They have not yet heard. There, there are people, even in our own backyard, who have not yet believed in that good news, who have not yet put their hope in Jesus Christ and allowed him to transform their lives and change them. And I wanted to just give you some statistics. I had the opportunity recently to sit with a group of pastors and hear um, from an organization that does a lot of missions research, and they help provide uh, statistics for all different missions organizations, and the work they did took them years, almost a decade to compile and complete. 
And some of their data is what I want to share with you right now. What we need to know is we are a very big world. We're over 7 billion people in this world. And in the next 40 seconds, over 100 people are going to die. They're going to pass into eternity. Okay, that's just, that's just a fact. That 100 people are going to pass into eternity. And out of that 100 people, based upon the statistics of where the world is today, here are the, the real numbers out of that. And as I do this, I want to show you, um, this is statistically the percentages of where people's faith is right now, where they've placed their faith. And so just look up here and you're going to see the pockets and each dot represents 50,000 people that fall into this belief. So 100 people are going to pass into eternity in the next 40 seconds, just the amount of time it took me to explain that to you. And out of that, 32 of them know little or do not care to know Jesus Christ because they've come from religious backgrounds where they have just turned away from the Lord and completely uh, never called upon his name or they're secularists, agnostics, atheists. 32% of the world would find themselves in that area. Out of that 100 people, 32 of them would perish into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because they have no belief. Out of that 100, 20 of them come from a Muslim background. So that's 52 now, percent. And they only know a God of judgment. As we had Pastor Ghassan with us, a pastor who's ministered in Iraq in, in, in areas that are completely Muslim and has shared the good news of Jesus he had one thing that he would use a lot to share the gospel is that they have, the Quran has all kinds of different names for God, but not once does it say God is love. They do not know the love of God and they pass into eternity without knowing Jesus, with denying him. They don't believe that he is God. 15 of those 100 are people that come from Hindu background, mainly in India, where they do not believe God is a personal father but merely hope in some promotion in a higher reincarnated state. Five of those hundred people from a Buddhist background in Southeast Asia mainly, where they are taught to worship millions of God and somehow it could help them evolve to a higher level of oneness with the principle of the heavens. That's what they believe. And out of that 128 of them would represent Christians. But that is even broken down because that's all people who would fall under the designation of Christian. So there's many different sects that are within that. And, uh, and, and the main two divisions that would happen there would be 16 out of the 28 would be of Roman Catholic background and 12% of that 100, 12 out of that 100 would be what are called evangelical. What evangelical Christian means is that uh, it's someone who has taken on the calling to go out and to share the gospel. So they are those, 12% of the world's population are those that would say we've taken the call to go out and share the gospel and so we live and a part of our mission is to go out and make Jesus known here into the ends of the earth and to preach the gospel. 12 out of 100. Those facts should startle us because we look at this map where are we? We're right in the thick of it, right? We're right in the middle of it, and we feel like, oh, yeah, there's churches everywhere. There's, you pass by how many churches on your way here to church? Are we over-churched? Are we, you know, we, we have it. And you forget, number one, that there are people all around you that you go to work with, 
that this is nothing more than just a ritual that they go through. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you even forget about the more startling thing is that there's a world that is dying and doesn't know him as Lord and Savior. There's a world that is dying and has put their faith in other gods that will never bring them salvation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's the good news because it's a free invitation. Jesus died for our sins for that reason. And so that is the hope of the gospel. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That is the statistics. That's the world that we know right now. But we have an opportunity. We have a mission. We're called to go out and to preach the gospel so that everyone would know this good news. It's the good news that we read about right there in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the message that we have been given. And how will anyone ever hear that message unless someone, every person goes? And who's called to go? Everyone that's called upon the name of the Lord has been called and commissioned to go. And I believe that what made the church that changed the world, the evangel church, is that they fully embraced their identity as believers in Jesus. And for that to take place, something has to happen. Something transformative has to happen. You have to stop defining what your relationship with Jesus looks like and allow God's word to define what your relationship with Jesus looks like. Too many of us have defined it the way we want to define it. We say, we'll call upon you in name only, Lord, but we're not actually going to ever walk in obedience to what your word says. A.W. Tozer writes that every Christian's heart, there are two things. He says in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and there is a throne. The Christian is on the throne And until he puts himself on the cross, nothing will ever change. If he refuses the cross and remains on the throne of his heart, that's what leads to backsliding. That's what leads to worldliness. That's what leads to all these things, marking and defining what it means to be a believer in Jesus. That's what tarnishes who we are. We want to be saved, but we insist that Jesus does all the dying. And we doom ourselves to the shadows and to weakness and to spiritual complete stagnation. For some of us today, you say, I don't feel very alive in Christ. It's because you've never stepped off the throne of your own life. You said, yeah, Jesus, I'm glad you died for my sins. But Jesus will actually trade with us that he then becomes Lord of our life. And as Paul says, we become crucified to our old life. And we now live this life to follow Jesus not to follow our own selfish desires. And because of that, because of that, so many times we are not fully embracing our identity as followers of Jesus. And we're not walking in God's will for our lives. That's a powerful statement. Because there's something that so many people have spent so much time, and maybe you've spent time on this as well, and I know I have, and it caused me anxiety over the years. But I've wanted to answer this one question. God, what is your will for my life? Is there anyone else that's ever asked that question of God? Like, Lord, what is your will for my life? And we've wondered that and we've prayed about that and we've spent time reflecting on that and and weighing it. I think we've gotten something wrong 
Because when we ask that question, we go to the granular, most specific details of it, and we, we, we get ridiculous. Lord, what is your will for my life right now? Is it peanut butter or turkey sandwich? Lord, what is your will right now for me to drive a Jetta or to drive a Honda? Lord, what is your will for my life? Am I supposed to work here or there? Is your, am I supposed to need this part? What's your will for my life? And we go from the smallest details all the way out to the biggest, most important details. And I want you to know something today. And I can speak of it confidently because it's spelled out in God's word. I know that every person that can hear the sound of my voice, I can tell you with, with complete certainty, I know what God's will for your life is. And I'm ready to share it with you today. And I can speak of this with complete certainty. His will for your life is threefold. And it's all found right within his word. First, his will for your life is that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. That's first and foremost. That you know Jesus, that you enter into a life-changing relationship with him. That you love and obey Jesus. That's his will for your life that you would love and obey Jesus, that you would follow exactly what Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus then said, if you love me, you obey what I command you to do. We walk in obedience to God's word and to what Jesus has called us to do in this world. And if we're walking in obedience to what Jesus called us to do, and if we love the Lord, that means that we're also fulfilling the second greatest commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself. And if we love our neighbor as ourselves, and if we're walking obedience to what Jesus has called us to do, then what we're doing is we are sharing the gospel and we are leading people to Jesus. So to know Jesus, to love and obey Jesus, and to lead others to Jesus. That is God's will for every single person within the sound of my voice. That you would have a relationship with Jesus, that you would love and obey him, and that you would lead others to him. That's it. Now, please don't line up after service and ask me any more specific details than that. I'm not going to tell you about your career. I'm not going to tell you about anything else. I'm here to point you to God's word and say, I know for certain it's that. And for some of you, you spent so much time focusing on the other details of God's will. How are you doing with these? Do you know Jesus? Do you love and obey him? And are you leading others to know him? Because don't worry about that other stuff. Maybe God's waiting on that because he's waiting on this. And he wants you focused on this. And we need to be living this out completely. Stop trying to figure everything else out. Just walk in obedience to what he's revealed. So often we want special revelation. Go with the revelation he's already given. Because this is for all of us. For everyone who would believe. That everyone who would believe would walk in that. And we'd help others to grasp the depths of God's love in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul says that he's convinced of this one thing. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord. That love is the gospel. It is the power to save our lives and to save others. And we have been given a calling to know Jesus and the privilege to know him, to love and obey him and to lead others to him. That is what it means to be the evangel church. That's what it means to walk in our identity. As I started with that story about Peggy and Billy, she never got to know the end of the story, just like many people don't get to know the story of Jesus, and they haven't yet heard the good news. They haven't yet heard the whole gospel story. 
And it wasn't just a few years that had gone by for Peggy. It was a few decades. 50 years had gone by. She never remarried, and she never knew anything else about what became of her husband. And as 60 years were about to go by without her knowing anything, Billy's cousin, Alton, he was tired of not knowing he was tired of not figuring it out. He was tired of standing on the sideline and not, and not doing more. And he decided that he would not be comfortable just waiting any longer. And although they had reached out to the military and to the government so many times and received nothing back, he began to investigate some more. He began to ask for more records and more information. And eventually, in 2004, he receives a name that pops up. As he's searching for Billy's name, it pops up in, in this small town in France, a town with not many people, but there is a sign for Billy D. Harris. And then on that very road where the sign for Billy D. Harris is, every year there are people that march the streets. There are people that walk up and they carry flowers and they place them at a, at a memorial site. Uh, the mayor of the town speaks with tears in her eyes as she retells a story. There, there's a site, a grave site. We're going to pause it right there. And this is a photograph that goes back many, many decades. Because in this small town, in 1944, July 8th, as Billy was on his final mission before going home, he and the men that he was flying with they faced some incredible difficulty and attack. And during that, his plane was compromised. And there was not much chance for a safe landing or for him to even be able to survive. And as he's going down, he's barreling towards this small French town full of people. And there's someone there that's flying near and they're witnessing what's happening. And they're watching. And the people in the town are seeing sudden doom coming right at them. And with his dying breath and his final movement that he has, which is very limited at that time, Billy pulls up just enough to avoid the entire town and crash in the woods right on the outskirts of that community. And at that time, when they saw who this man was, who they could barely recognize, but they made out his name, they would go every single year to his gravesite. And they'll put so many flowers on top of it that it would reach up to their waist. And every single year they would march down the streets and they would tell his story about the man that saved their, their lives, the man who saved their community. And some of those, one of those men that's a witness right there is still there today. And he's telling the story to every new generation about this man named Billy D. Harris who died for them, who saved them when they could have died. And Peggy just recently had the opportunity to go to France and to begin to meet people who knew and loved her husband. They never met him. And then she got to go on a walk. And they walked into the woods. And this man who stood as a witness, an eyewitness of what happened, told the story again. The story of Billy who saved them. A man who cared so much about them that did not want them to die that he gave his own life and sacrificed it. And she got to hear that story. And she was full of so much joy knowing 
of his sacrifice, knowing of his life, knowing of what he, knowing the rest of the story and what that means. Church, this is an incredible story. And what Billy did saved lives here on earth that did not have to perish. But there's an even greater story that it points to. It's a story about a God who loved the world so much that he deployed his son into this world because he saw that the world was on a crash course with destruction and death. And there was no hope for return. And so he sent his son. And what happened was he would have an impact. He would be the one to go. And his death, his sacrifice would save the world. And because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, died on a cross for us, he rescued us from death. And not just death in this life, but eternal life we have now received because of Jesus. Church, that's the best news that has ever been given. That's the greatest story that has ever been told. And it's a story worth telling. And you know who tells the story best? The eyewitness, the one who's experienced that in their life. And this man stands from generation to generation saying, I saw it, I experienced it. You had to be there. This is what happened. God is calling us to be witnesses. He's calling us to be those that share the story of Jesus and what he has done for us and what he can do for others. And today... Today, are you ready to shake off stagnation and complacency? Are you ready to walk away from being ashamed and being embarrassed about your faith? And are you ready to say, Lord, you did that for me, and so I'm going to live for you? I remember the passion and the joy in my life. I remember what it was like to come to Jesus. This week in our small groups, that's what we talked about. What was it like? What brought you to Jesus? His love and his forgiveness and all of the ways of his mercies have changed us. Why wouldn't we share that with others? And so today, I want everyone to bow your heads and to close your eyes with me. And I want to ask you, how are you doing in those three areas? To know Jesus, to love and obey Jesus, and to lead others to Jesus. And today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the good news. He died for you. And there's nothing else left than for you to respond to that gift. And today, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you would like to follow him all the days of your life, if you would like to follow him and enter into the life that he has promised for you, if you've been running from God and you've walked away and it's just been ritual, but you're coming back to him today and you're beginning a brand new life with him, I want you to take a bold step right now. I want you as you hear my voice right now in the presence of God and the presence of those that will celebrate with you, I want you in this moment right now to take a bold step. If you would like to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I want you just to stand to your feet right where you're at right now. If that's you and you'd like to accept Jesus Christ, just stand to your feet. If you don't stand for him now, you're not going to stand for him anywhere else. If that's you and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, stand to your feet. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be embarrassed of.
I'm going to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone that would be standing on the fence, not yet ready to put their whole faith in you. Holy Spirit, speak to them, even in this moment. Don't let this hour pass. Don't let them leave this building, Lord God, without making a commitment to follow you, without asking you to come and forgive them of their sins, to lead them in the life that you have for them. Lord God, speak by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to pray for anyone else that's here because there's more application. If there's anyone here, and today's a day that you're hearing God's word and you're saying, I'm ready. I want to stand and be that evangel church. I want to stand and be that evangelist. I want to stand and be someone who God will use to share his good news with others. And as we call ourselves believers in Jesus, this is one of the callings he has. And as you stand today, and this will just be the way we close out, as you just stand to your feet, you are signifying that I'm ready to step into that. I'm committing to make Jesus known. I'm committing that in the days and weeks to come, I will find opportunities and I will share Jesus with other people. And if you're ready to do that today, I want you just to stand up and we're just going to pray together as a church. That's you to stand to your feet and saying, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus known. I'm going to find opportunities this week. I'm going to be bold in my faith. I'm going to be bolder than I've been before. Lord Jesus, you see each heart, Lord God, and you see each life. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, anoint us to make you known. Lord God, may we be bold in our commitment to you, Lord God. Would you give us the words to say we don't know what to say? Will we have a passion and a zeal for the lost, Lord God, for that they would come to know you? Lord God, we pray that our love for you would grow day by day. We pray that we would walk in obedience, Lord God. Lord, don't let opportunities pass us by. Holy Spirit, we give you permission right now. Come in and convict us at times, Lord God, when an opportunity is passing. Give us the words, Lord, to step out in faith, and we know that you will meet us as we do. And Lord, we pray that we will see a multitude come to know you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, we pray for your anointing to fall and to rest on those that are committing themselves to you. In your name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God.